Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, April 17th, and today, Baratunde Thurston is here with his thoughts on the mass shooting in Buffalo, and also the tragedy woven into Samuel Alito's opinion that will apparently overturn Roe versus Wade. And later on, Tina Wynn stops by to tell us what she's looking for in today's Pennsylvania primary, and which Trump impersonator might win the Republican slugfest. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Tuesday, y'all. I'm joined today by Baratunde Thurston, um, who has a wonderful and, and typically thoughtful piece up on Puck about uh, the Samuel Alito opinion that leaked. Uh, but first, Baratunde, I want to ask you about uh, the shooting in Buffalo that happened over the weekend, racially motivated, <laughs> as racist as it gets, yeah. uh, that killed 10 people. What was your reaction when you heard it? And also one reason I like talking to you generally is you appreciate and have a, an opinion very quickly, but then you sort of marinate and think, and then, you know, you publish something, you have a take a few days later that's even more uh, resonant and thoughtful. So anyway, um, what, what was your reaction? And what you you just described my content strategy for my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good. Um, yeah, you know, when I, I saw the news, I honestly retreated from it. I was just like, I don't have emotional space to read about a mass shooting. I didn't even know it was like a super racist mass shooting. And so I, I dove in Sunday evening and just started reading more. A friend had texted a group of us and I just, I was deeply sad, Peter. Uh, this stuff is exhausting and it hurts. It sits in this space of, you know, we're not doing anything about it either. You know, just the, the gun level alone. Like we're in this country with more guns than people. You know, we have enough people to reload our guns. That's the situation of America right now. And then the racial layer on top with this kid, young man, really 18-year-old, being seemingly activated by all this conspiratorial white supremacist theory, uh, a lot of it coming from Fox News. There's a hole, I think, in whiteness, if I may, where there's a lot of white guys who have been made to feel terrified that the world is like coming for them and trying to take things from them. The only thing they're hearing amidst all this change is you're losing. You're about to lose. And so for some of them, they go off an even deeper, more violent end in this violent society. And there's another message possible. Uh, somebody who looks like them probably needs to say it, but like, we have to adapt to this change. We're all going through it. You're not unique in any sense of feeling like the world is hard or life is difficult. And there's something else possible besides like retreating into a sense of loss and fear that we could actually build something. So I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm exhausted, and I want this narrative that has captivated so many, especially young white guys, to change. As right now, I think they're only hearing one thing, and it's taken up literally all the oxygen in the room. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt a lot more people in different ways. You said two things that jumped out at me. One, the idea of young white men um, being mad, and I had a weird experience in Venice, where I live, which, as you know, is not like Plano, Texas. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's a yeah. very progressive place. And I was actually out at a bar and a couple Gen Zers, three white kids, like came up to me 
they had seen my Snapchat show, which I generally think is pretty fair <laughs> as far as you can be in this era. Yeah. And usually when I get approached randomly by a, a younger person, it's re- usually great and super earnest and they want to talk to me about politics. These kids were like calling me names and calling mm. me far beyond fake news stuff. And yeah. this is nothing like that. But it did make me think that for this generation coming up, this shooter was 18. If you live your life on the internet, like the line of of just what's real and what's not just becomes totally blurred. And for the yeah. kids that I was interacting with, there was it felt like there was no difference between them coming up to me and calling me a piece of shit in real life and saying that as a comment on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, the, and so, the, comment, the comment section has come to life. Yeah. yeah, and like, so with this kid, like he was inspired by the Christchurch shooting. He live streamed it on Twitch. Yeah, it's just it was a game. It freaks me out. I'm not saying everyone in, in Gen Z is coming up that way, but just those lines are so blurred. The other thing that she said that really resonated with me was uh, when you talked about, there's doesn't feel like there's anything we can do with legislation or executive action. And I remember I used to cover Nikki Haley in South Carolina a lot. I lived down there for a while. When that shooting in the Charleston church happened, Nikki Haley, a Republican, you know, came out, said, take down the Confederate flag. It was a big deal at the time. This was sort of right around when Trump was jumping in the presidential race back in 2015. It's impossible to imagine a Republican today taking the same kind of action. And I only say that because that's the kind of action that would be required to get some kind of bipartisan agreement on curtailing access to guns. And it just, the hopelessness is is the thing that that really yeah. just hits. And it's to the point where you don't even want to read about it. There's a vicious spiral here. And, you know, this kid's manifesto was full of a lot of illogic. One of them that, you know, Black people came here to replace white people. <laughs> we were brought here, literally kicking and screaming. <laughs> Many of us died on the way. We brought it here to build the country, not to take anything from anybody. But he doesn't know that because nobody wants to teach the full history of the country. It's anti-critical race theory. Like this, I can't think of a better argument for critical race theory than this <laughs> kid in Buffalo who's walking around with this ahistorical mindset, getting all of his information from subreddits and Tucker Carlson and 4chan. That is not a proper education. And further, you know, parents similarly made afraid by right-wing media are attacking social and emotional learning. I can't think of a better advertisement for social and emotional learning to help these little boys and young men deal with their emotions and not pick up a gun than that type of education in our schools. So the very thing that folks are protesting and picketing and proud boys showing up loudly and sometimes violently at school board meetings is what could help prevent this. But instead, we're moving in the opposite direction, creating more conditions for things like this to happen because no one else is so far breaking through to this community and teaching something different and, in my view, much more true. Well, for people out there who haven't, who have kind of tried to avert their eyes from this, just go online and read about some of the the victims. I mean, they're just regular people at the grocery store. One of the victims was a father of a three-year-old shopping for his kid's birthday. It was a deacon of a church kill. There was a, a grandmother, you know, and then the security guard, former Buffalo PD, yeah. actually responded in the ideal way in such a perverse world that we live in, confronted the gunman, fired shots, struck the gunman, but he was so heavily armor-plated that it didn't take him down and he ended up killing that guard too. So more people with guns also not 
quite the answer in this case. There was a music festival in San Diego this weekend, and mm. it was a video of people fleeing what they thought were gunshots. And like, you know, yeah. a music festival has like tens, hundreds of thousands of people just like running in terror. It turned out it was like an amp or something like popped or exploded. And yeah. like it, it caused this like mass freak out. <laughs> and like that's the culture we live in. It's fucking awful. Man, you just reminded me. I had that situation with my wife in New York at the Global Citizen Festival a few years ago in Central Park. And we were kind of close to the stage in like this little VIP section, but not right up on it. And we heard these sounds, everybody lost it. And just a wave of people starts running toward us. And we got out oh. of the way. We, we, we hid behind a giant speaker system with a, a mother and daughter. And me and the mother tried to console the daughter who was hysterical, crying, teenager. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And we thought, like, this, this could be the moment we die. That is so unhealthy. It is so abnormal. We shouldn't be accepting that. We shouldn't be accepting the reality when these things are shooting events. We shouldn't accept the day-to-day -day gun violence or suicides. And we shouldn't have exiting a concert for fear of an active shooter be just like a regular thing in America, like a fire drill, active shooter drill. But the fact that we've absorbed it and just kind of accommodated it that's extra depressing. Again, no shiny, no silver lining. Yeah. Not today, not today. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. And we'll be right back after this. I do wanna ask you about the piece you wrote about the apparent majority opinion that Maybe in June we'll overturn Roe versus Wade. You called it uh, the real tragedy of Samuel Alito's logic. And I have, a, I have a couple of questions for you on this. One, most people don't read these opinions. Like, even if you are like an RBG super fan out there, like you probably didn't right. read any of her opinions. Um, you did. For the people who didn't sit down with it, what was in there that, that really just chafed at you and, and that jumped out? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think it's one sort of Alito's search for historical constitutional grounding for the Roe decision in the first place and his inability to find it and basically say uh, abortion is not enumerated in the Constitution. Therefore, we got to strike this thing down. And so it creates for me a, a troubling reliance on what we know was a very limited view uh, of the people from history on how we should live our present and our future. So, you know, women aren't mentioned in the Constitution. The filibuster isn't mentioned in the Constitution, but we honor those increasingly over time. We've invented things that are not there and defended them. So he's like, well, you know, abortion's not there, so it, we can't do it. And I just think there is a, there's a trap in that when we, you know, use history as a cage rather than a foundation and, and don't let ourselves build up from there, but just limit ourselves. And I don't think we do it universally. I think it's a very interesting selection uh, to revoke this, you know, because it's, it's about a woman making a choice on what to do with a pregnancy. And then the other piece that, that he called for in his opinion was he kind of sold it as this is not a revocation of a right. This is an opportunity for the people yeah. to decide. Right. It's actually democracy that we're supporting here. And it goes back to the states and different people can make different decisions. States rights, 10th Amendment. Exactly. And I just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little slippery. I mean, I don't, there are some basic human rights that shouldn't be put up to 
different local votes. If we believe that all people are created equal, then we shouldn't let Alabama, Mississippi, Missouri, California, New York have different stances on that. It's no longer a fundamental right. But I also think there's a, there's a lie essentially in that where the party that brought us this decision has done so by undermining democracy, by bypassing some of the systems of democracy. Even the ability of this opinion to exist is due to a 6-3 a majority that came through some undemocratic means. You know, Mitch McConnell stealing Merrick Garland's seat, giving it to Gorsuch, then reversing himself and letting Amy Coney Barrett in under the opposite of his new rule. So did he take two seats? <laughs> it's because the majority of people who voted for presidents that stacked this court didn't have their will respected. Otherwise, we'd have had President Clinton and President Gore. And the Senate confirmation, you know, is an undemocratic process increasingly if you look at the will of the people, just the math of it, gerrymandering the whole thing, the Electoral College. So that measure, plus a Republican Party that now looks the other way at best, a violent insurrection, and co-conspires with it in terms of laying the groundwork to overturn future elections, you can't say you're pro-democracy when your actions reveal that you do not respect democracy at all and you're pretty comfortable with minority rule. So it was a lie, I think. Uh, eloquently written, you know, he's good with the English language, got a lot of, you know, legal expertise in there, but it rang really false to me. From a human rights perspective and from a political perspective, like what do you think people should do right now with their time and their money? I mean, I, I think people should read your piece. Um, I came to your piece later in my own writing process and you had shared really valuable analysis that I think anyone in some leadership in the Democratic Party or anyone who wants, you know, women's rights restored should read just to understand this is a 40-year history that you wrote about. It wasn't an overnight thing. And there was an investment made, many investments at many levels of society, think tanks and rallies and religious infrastructure, like leveraging, you know, churches direct mail campaigns, even before social media came along, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to get to this point. So we've been on, on I say we, because I align myself with the majority on this, that is, is very disappointed by this revocation of a right. We got to hit the ground again. There may be civil disobedience required. Again, that's worked in our history before, but it's a strategic use of all the levers that we have at our disposal. Uh, working at the state and local level, investing in young leaders. You know, we've also mm -hmm. written at Puck a lot about this gerontocracy and, and the people atop our political infrastructure, especially the democratic infrastructure. They're just very old and they're increasingly out of touch with the reality of the people they're governing. You know, so even, I'm not saying the Democratic Party is like the solution to all this. Yeah. I think democracy is the solution. So we just need better representation too. Folks will have to dig deep. And I think especially for men, we've also got to see ourselves in this. Uh, this is not, this is initially about women and control of their bodies, but it's going to affect all of us. And so we've also got to, to stand up and participate in this and not just watch uh, as this gets erased. All right, man. Thank you so much for being as thoughtful as always. We will let you go for the sake of time, but come back soon. Will do. Thanks, Peter. Good to be here. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tina Wynn on her beat right now. Thanks, Peter. 
Let's go back to Pennsylvania, which a reader informed me I accidentally called the Granite State last time. It is the Keystone State. I know this state well enough. I forgot that name. I'm very sorry. But let's go look at the Pennsylvania GOP Senate race once again. It's taken a wild turn since we last uh, spoke. Basically, a third candidate, Kathy Barnett, I predicted last week she was about to surge up the middle and present herself as an alternative to Dr. Mehmet Oz and David McCormick as a non-wealthy, non-politically elite candidate. And that's happened pretty quickly. Uh, Recent polling suggested that she came into second place, a little bit above McCormick, who's a uh, former hedge fund CEO and Bush administration official, as well as Oz, who I'm sure we all know is the celebrity doctor guy. However, her quick rise has sort of come with a lot of baggage, particularly the fact that she seems to be some sort of QAnon adjacent extremist. On Monday morning, photos were released showing that she was marching towards the Capitol on January 6th, surrounded by members of the Proud Boys, which is a... uh, extremist organization that's into street fighting and masculinity, uh, long story. But it's not clear whether she actually breached the Capitol, but she was there that day, indicating she has this belief that the election was stolen through nefarious means. Uh, She was also endorsed by Doug Mastriano, I believe, at her last rally with Mastriano, who's a big QAnon-adjacent guy as well. The rally was being guarded by Oath Keepers, whose multiple members have been indicted for plotting to invade the Capitol and do pretty horrible, nasty things. One of the legitimate concerns that Oz and McCormick have are that we don't know that much about Barnett. These are all things that just emerged over the past five days. There's a lot of other questions about her background and her biography and whether she is who she claims she is. Like, did she actually serve in the army? Does she have a professorship at this other university that she claims that she has? However, we're at the finish line here, which means that Oz and McCormick have a bunch of, you know, come to Jesus moments that they need to reckon with. For instance, did they generate enough voter enthusiasm to go to the polls on Tuesday? Or has Kathy Barnett, with her highly motivated MAGA conspiracy base, driven them out to vote more than, say, a Trump fan who's kind of weirded out about Ozmite or a David McCormick Republican who's normal but maybe less engaged? Possibly, possibly not. So whatever happens today, it's going to say a lot about, one, the state of the MAGA movement and their priorities, and two, whether the Republican Party knows exactly what sort of base they're trying to engage or whether they can just throw some normal guys out there and have them say MAGA things. It's unclear, but I'm really looking forward to watching this. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts.
The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.